The theme song for the sequel cast is written and performed by Mark with a C. The sequel cast is also a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. You can listen to the sequel cast streaming on the Stitcher app at stitcher.com. Get more episodes of the sequel cast from sequelcast.com. Enjoy the show. So we're all bags of shit that deserve to be here. That's good. That's great. Fucking great. So is that what you think this is? You don't think there's any other connection? No, I do. I do. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your host of that I informed you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt. With me is Thrasher. Hello, listeners. And we're continuing our uh, massive two-month look at the Saw franchise with Saw 5. We're over the hump, as they say, more than halfway done. And and really, nothing says Thanksgiving to me like the Saw franchise. Well, you know, Jigsaw's motivation is he wants people, at least the original Jigsaw, and we'll get into that, his motivation is he wants people to be thankful of their life. To, to appreciate their life. You could call it thankful. I'll I, go I with think that. they're both valid interpretations. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But, but in the end, you know, it's all about turkeys getting carved. And wait till you see the turkeys that get carved in this flick. Wah, wah. I'm going to give that two gobbles. Gobble, 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 gobble. And if you think you gave a lot of gobbles, just wait till we get to Germany. It's <laughs> an awful pun for a World War II uh, enthusiast. Or fans okay. of King of TV, Paul Gobble. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, we're talking about Saw 5. I first uh, rented this uh, right away when it came out on DVD, and I thought it was... Um, at the time, I hated it, but I think on this rewatch, I liked it a bit better. I you know I, I rented all these as soon as they came out on on video. What I say video, I sound like I'm seventy on on DVD, and uh, it it's truly is one of those franchises that it truly is one of those franchises. You know that they released it every single year. You could set your watch do. to saw. You could set your watch to saw, and uh, and that watch would have dropped acid on you. And I know they did that with, like, Friday the 13th and stuff. I don't know if it was one of those every year exactly. I believe with Child's Play 2 and 3, you had those were within nine months of each other, their theatrical release. Really? Yeah. I mean, so it's certainly a tradition with if a horror movie is real successful, you can make them cheap and make them fast and keep the budget low. And they, they certainly do that with the Saw films. Um, what did you think of, of Saw 5, Thrasher? Was your first time watching it for the show? I liked it. Uh, the first time I saw it was last week uh, in preparation for the show. Uh, and I liked it better than I liked Saw 4, which is the only movie I've ever given zero a rating of zero to in the history of the sequel cast. Yeah, we got some tweets at us from our listeners about Saw 5. Uh, one is from friend of the show Ryan Haas of the Super Mario Brothers uh movie website 
He said Saw 5 is a murder mystery where you know who did it, and it's fun to see how it plays out. You know, it is th- that is true. They kind of... They they kind of dispense with the idea that there's really going to be a mystery pretty early on, and although it's still shot like there is going to be a mystery with some sort of reveal coming up later. Yeah, the lack of the reveal, we'll get into it when we talk about the end of the film, but it is kind of strange. It's not because everyone tries to do like the sixth sense, where it's oh. like an oh shit, but guess you didn't see that coming. And this one sort of disappoints as far as that regard, but I, I agree. I think it's a it's a better, more interesting film. Um, listener of the show, Johnny2900 on, on Twitter, said he hadn't seen the movie, but he says uh, the traps in the film like the number five. I didn't even notice this, but there are five victims, five keys in the first room. Well, that's one for each victim. And uh, the blades that cut someone's head off are shaped like a Roman numeral five. You know, uh, he is right about that. There was a bit of a motif there. And he got that from the clips. I didn't even get that from watching the film. I mean, that's <laughs> – so yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Johnny. You were paying more attention than uh, than we did – or that I did it anyhow. So, I mean, this – you know, Saw 2, 3, and 4 were directed by the same uh, by the same guy, Darren Lynn Boozman. And Saw 5 uh, was directed by the guy who was the production designer on Saw 2, 3, and 4, David Hackle. Mm, yes. And he also is second unit director for Saw 3 and 4. So it's nice you get to see in these later Saw movies, these people work up the ranks and become director, um, which is pretty cool. And I think certainly the production design is one of the stronger things in these Saw movies. Well, actually, the, the Saw 5 in particular, uh, shots are composed in such a way and the visuals are done in such a way. There is a much, there's a much better eye for the visuals of, of the film in Saw 5. There's a much yeah, so- better visual sense. It still has the problem that the series has where there's no such thing as daylight and everything is washed out and, or in green. But it still is the shapes, they're well composed, the shapes and the textures. And I think the editing in this one is less manic than some of the other films. Where it does like the hyper-fast editing and stuff, this camera spinning around and screaming. It seems like there was a whole lot of that in Saw 4, uh, if memory serves. And they kind of cut back on this. I don't... I don't think Saw 5 is uh, perhaps a little bit less gory or torturous, literally, uh, than some of the stuff in Saw 4. But I think, you know, what makes this film more successful than than the Saw 4 for me is um, the plot. It it has a real simple plot. You know, I I couldn't put it better than our fan of the show, Ryan Hosted, where it's a murder mystery, you know, who did it. But there's some momentum like this guy, the you know, we know that the new Jigsaw guy is uh, Hoffman, right? Yes. And he is being pursued by the FBI agent Strom, who we saw a bit in Saw 4. And on investigating, you know, who the new Jigsaw is, is this uh, dude with a mustache who's kind of like the, the superior I can't remember that character's name because I'm an awful person. <laughs> Erickson. It's uh, Agent Erickson. When I was watching Saw 5, there's a scene where Hoffman is talking to Strom. 
And my wife happened to be getting ready for a party. She just was kind of watching TV out of the corner of her eye. And she was confused in that the actors that play uh, Hoffman and Strom look so similar. With they their really build, do. With their hairline. She's like, is this the same actor talking to himself? Is this a dream sequence? I don't get it. Is it going to be revealed <laughs> at the end of the movie that they've been the same person the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Which I actually is... did half expect. It wouldn't be outside of the box, uh for this stuff, I mean, but it it is pretty strange in, in that regard. Why do they cast actors that look so similar? They could have given one of them a mustache. They could have had a guy be a bit shorter. They could have had a, a guy of a different ethnicity, but they both have these kind of like broad shoulders, um, kind of a broad nose, the same sort of, you know, kind of longer hair. Well, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if the two of them either had more divergent acting styles or were just mm, better mm-hmm. lit in the washed out colors and lights of, of this sure. film. They just, they look like, they look like the same grizzled blob. And they both wear suits and stuff, right? They dress up for their, for their work. They both wear the same bland gray suits that all law enforcement officials wear in this movie. And their diet. And as you mentioned, their delivery of the lines is pretty bland. They might like stare at each other and, and, it's got a four of their eyebrows. That might be the extent of their range. Yeah. And then I do, uh, I do like that we. Uh, one one thing that I do like in this movie because we we uh, talked in uh, in Saw Three about how disappointed we both were that well now there's a girl who's going to suffocate to death in a vault somewhere because of the ending of that movie, uh, and this movie uh, starts off with uh, already intersecting with the end of Saw 3. That's right. You see, and I, I don't think that aspect is fairly interesting, is Hoffman kind of sets himself up to look like, oh, I'm this guy that survived when everyone else died, and I even saved, saved the girl. Now, they don't do anything with the daughter of uh, the guy that was sort of, I don't know if you call him the hero, but the, the main the main character in Saw Three. We just saw that we just see that the daughter is in the hands of the paramedics, and she's going to be taken. Like she she didn't die in that vault, thank goodness. Uh, now so. they don't follow up anything with that daughter, which I think could have been interesting. Although I guess with the girl's age, I'm not sure what you could have done. Hey, there could still be a Saw Eight. There could, yeah, and you know that's sort of up in the air. There's rumors they're doing a new Saw movie, but whether it's a continuation of the franchise or a complete reboot or whatever. I mean, I think you could do a Saw TV series, frankly, mm. and make it a cop show and have, like, Jigsaw stuff kind of come in and out of there. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, I mean, Saw 5 is a bit more like Saw 2, right? Where you get a bunch of people having to yeah, go through the these de- traps. Yeah, the death trap. Subplot. Yeah, there's there's two plots. There's a plot with the the investigators trying to get to the bottom of the Saw murderers and why they're continuing after Jigsaw's death, and then you've got the plot of the people trapped in an, in a uh, subterranean death maze. And you also get the sort of flashback plot. I mean the the uh, trap at the beginning of the film with the sort of the pendulum thing switching switching uh, back and forth. I think is pretty. Neat, and you kind of see how Jigsaw groomed Hoffman. Well, hey, if you're going to steal a death trap, you steal from the best. And I think those are some of the best scenes in the movie. Well, yeah, look, early on, I actually had had a lot of hope. Like, uh, as, as much as, uh, you know, for, we got a reference to Poe, which I'm a sucker for references to Poe, but also uh, the uh, the FBI agent 
uh, he gets uh, when when trying to track down Jigsaw, he gets waylaid and put in a death trap where his head is in this big tank of this this like effectively a fish tank that starts filling with water, and he survives it by giving himself a tracheotomy with a pen so he can still breathe. Now, that That's won't cool. work because of the law of communicating reservoirs, for those of you who like the physics of fluid dynamics. But I do like that finally, five movies in, we have a character that actively attempts and succeeds to outwit Jigsaw. Or in this case, Jigsaw's apprentice. That's right. And he does it pretty quickly, and you get that, that neat moment at, at the pretty near the beginning where or Hoffman he he's looking like oh the the hero cop that escaped and he's like he said he he does say to the police you know everyone's dead but then out of the corner of his eye you know he sees that Strom is is still being rushed to the the ambulance right and this also and he's gives like us oh shit this also gives us something hearkening back to the original saw a competent raspy voiced law enforcement agent with a neck injury or a throat injury that's right. Now, I mean, the actor that plays uh, Strom, Scott Patterson, he's no Danny Glover, but he he's not bad. The raspiness is is a nice touch, and he doesn't overdo it. Thank thankfully, no, and it doesn't make him hard to understand, which is uh, something I was very worried when I first heard him starting to use the raspy voice when he's recovering. Oh, did you think it was going to be like like Stephen Hawking? I'll find you, Jigsaw Killer. No, although that that would be, I mean, that actually would be interesting and creepy, him turning into this obsessive, this obsessed agent mm. of the law whose vocal cords have been damaged, so he has to speak through a voice box. That just, that would have been fascinating. I'm going to get to the bottom of this murder. Much like the film Seven, you get sort of a what's-in-the-box mystery here where you get uh, Jigsaw's ex-wife sees uh, Jigsaw's attorney and gets a big box, and you don't really get to see what's in it. No, all, all we really all we really learn about, uh, at least early on in the movie, is that it had – there's a videotape, an old, an old VHS tape uh, – which was even data technology at the time uh, that she plays with the final message that Jigsaw has given her. Right. So, but we know J- Jigsaw likes old technology. He has the the reel-to-reel tape decks. And, oh, yeah. uh, Although that does that does bring up something because we get lots of like snippets of Jigsaw training his uh, apprentice, the other apprentice, not the apprentice we saw the first time. So on the one hand, it makes some stuff from the earlier movies make a little bit more sense because it turns out Jigsaw has had two apprentices in Saw's 1, 2, and 3. On right. the other hand, it does it makes things way more complicated because now Jigsaw is, for all intents and purposes, leading a team of serial killers. But there's this line where he's talking to you know he's talking to the officer uh, who who he's training, uh, and he's saying you know your your material is substandard. You should lose use stainless steel. Only use things <laughs> that are good for the long haul. What long right. haul? All your death traps are one and done, and every single one of them seems to be made out of rusted, recycled metal. I, I think the whole point that Jigsaw tries to argue that his traps are more noble, which I think is an arguable point. I mean, they, they're pretty much it's pretty difficult to escape his traps when you look at the odds in these films. Uh, maybe because everyone in the the city that saw it takes place, or it's a town full of idiots, perhaps. 
They're, um, they're all drinking contaminated drinking water. <laughs> there you go. That's the plot for Saw 8 right there. But we're not at our pitch a sequel segment yet. No. Um, where, where was I going with that? Oh, you know, but that, that Jigsaw, he makes traps that there's a way for people to escape and, and redeem themselves. And, you know, upon completing the trap, I guess, gain a new appreciation for their life and their own life and how they treat others and, and all that all that nonsense. Um, and the the trap that Hoffman made that he made to look like a knockoff jigsaw trap for the guy that killed his sister but only got like a short jail sentence, there was no uh, plan to to get out. Well, I mean, that he, was he, the he thing. Was he, he wanted to, it was it was a revenge killing, and he just wanted to make it look like it was done by Jigsaw, so that he'd have plausible deniability. Make it look like the killer did it. Which I actually thought that was a that was a very neat uh, plot point. A guy who creates Jigsaw style murders, but does it so that he doesn't get blamed for his own revenge killings. And Jigsaw, I like how Jigsaw chastises him about using the wrong kind of blade to cut the puzzle piece out of the victim. Well, then there's although then there's also the the whole thing about where Jigsaw's explaining, you know, my methods offer complete and total rehabilitation. No, they don't. We have only seen one person survive your traps, and they came out. They they came. They went from being a drug dealer to being a psychopathic killer who inflicts self inflicted wounds. It's nice that Amanda comes back in the flashback sequences, though. Like, her, her crazy devotion to Jigsaw and her, like, she just hates Hoffman and, and yeah. some of their verbal sparring, I, I think. So, I mean, the flashback sequences are pretty interesting in the film. What did you think about the the stuff that takes place in, in the present day where you have these, um, the, the five people that they're all linked in some way? And, and this is very much like a video game, even for a Saw movie, where they got to go from room to room and get these keys well well to advance. I like I like that they're all that they're all connected. I like that they're all, you know, they're for all intents and purposes you find you find out that there was a crooked, you know, like any like any movie in the 80s, there was a crooked land development deal and lots of people got driven from their homes or died in a fire that a uh, uh, amateur arson is set to help clear out the property. And I thought that was neat. I thought you could build a whole movie. That could be a whole movie in and of itself. Uh, however, I had such high hopes, you know, when I saw the FBI agent outsmart the death trap by giving himself a tracheotomy, I was so right. hoping that this was going to be the movie where people start actively trying to outsmart Jigsaw. I was woefully disappointed. And and I, and as ha- has happened in the previous movies, there were very simple solutions to these death traps that nobody was attempting, and then they hang a lantern on it later. When they point out, oh, the room that filled with fire, there were only, you know, there were only four tubes, but the four tubes could have still hid, held five people. Like, nobody was supposed to die for their te- in their tests. If they had used teamwork, they would be fine. And the, thi- the, one that, the thing that pissed me off the most, the final disgusting body horror death trap where to open the door that'll get them out of the death maze they have to put their hands in this machine full of saw blades that'll cut they gotta them fill open. it up so it's 10 pints of blood yeah, i has, believe yeah it's fill up 10 pints of blood and that's a lot of blood uh two points one the death the room before that had a bathtub full of water why can't they soak their clothes 
in the bathtub full of water and just wring them out into the machine to fill up the blood the blood jar. And two, why can't they just pee into the blood jar? I didn't think either of those. What I did think is... You were the second person to tell me that. You know, but what I did think, though, is... So you're in a jigsaw traps where people are going to die. Why don't you take the corpses with you from room to room? <laughs> that way, if you're in a trap that requires blood or uh, the weight of something or, or, you know, you can just use the corpses. Yeah, actually, that's another really good point. They could have gone back and pulled the woman who had been electrocuted in the bathtub. They could have pulled right. her out and used her. Just... No, I don't know how long blood stays in the... But these people are pretty freshly dead. I think you could squeeze oh, yeah, blood yeah. out of those corpses, Although right? that's... Although there's also a lot of gratuitous body horror because not only do they stick their hands into the saw blades, they keep sticking them in until their arms are cut <laughs> all the way up to their elbows. As like, dude, once you cut a major artery, you'll keep bleeding. You don't have to cut yourself anymore to keep bleeding. Oh, but there's the timers, lest you forget. All these things have timers on them. But but you, you're still going to be gushing blood. I honestly don't think it's... And you're also... The, the saw blade is splattering your blood everywhere. You are wasting so much blood. When you could have just cut, cut halfway down the palm of your hand and just, you know, you could have just let that drain out. So if each person gave five pints of blood... How many pints of blood are in the human body? I mean, would that I believe kill you I or could you for an I mean a person of average yeah. height and build, I believe is 8 pints. So, I mean, I do like that when um I believe it's just one person that escapes. She's, you know, pretty exhausted. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, as you can imagine, but, you know, it's not like she's, like, all zippity-doo-dah and has to, you know, gets in a fist fight with somebody. <laughs> with her split-in-half fist. Yeah, with a split... Oh, my God. Yeah, it was a little painful. But uh, but you see, like, Agent Strom's like, what the fuck is going on here? Or when everyone is uh, investigating what's happening. Yeah, and... Oh, also, the... Um, okay, so the... Um, the The woman who's played by the actress who played Rita on Dexter. Uh, her wig in this movie was so bad that I honestly thought all the stuff with the five people in the death maze was actually stuff taking place in the distant past, and we were going to see the origin for the wig on the pig mask. I'm not making a joke. I thought that her terrible wig was somehow going to become the origin for the black wig on the pig mask. Well, she also played Darla in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she, uh, we actually, she played the, I don't want to say romantic interest, but she played the, a female uh, supporting role in Rambo, the fourth Rambo film. Oh, Julie Benz, that's the actress. Julie Benz, yeah, that's the actress. So... I mean, that is a pretty known actress for the Saw series, considering the actors they've been hiring for the sequels. Yeah, but at the same time, why is she, why is she wearing that horrible black wig? I mean, I, I can only assume that maybe... I can only assume that she was filming maybe something else around the same time, and there were just, like, two different hairstyle requirements, maybe, and this was the compromise they made. But it's so glaring, I, I felt like it should have gone somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, because otherwise they could have just dyed her hair, and that would have been yeah. fine and done a different cut. Oh, me, oh, my, me, oh, my. Um, so, you. what did you think about um, Agent Erickson, who's the guy with the mustache? 
who's kind of following around. And, and you get this whole plot as it reveals in one of the many plots of the film that Hoffman is trying to frame it so Strom appears to be the Jigsaw Killer. I think that was kind of a neat idea. That was that was a neat idea, and it's also one of those rare instances where the plan isn't really... the For, for his plan to frame the FBI agent to succeed, it's not contingent on anybody being able to predict the future, uh, like so many of, of Jigsaw's elaborate schemes. He takes an active hand in creating the series of misunderstandings that's going to get the agent framed. I look at who they picked to be the new Jigsaw, Hoffman, and I, I'm just so puzzled by the decisions of, of the writers and producers and so forth on these series. Because it's like... How can, how can I say this? You know, it's like, you know, okay, let's say the original Jason died on Friday the 13th. Who is the new one going to be? It's going to be the cop that had two lines of dialogue from movie four. You know, it's like their movie three. It's such, it, and it doesn't help they don't do much to develop that character. At least the original Jigsaw, you got to know a bit. John Kramer, right? Who I was still happy to see show up in both the flashbacks and the videotape. I've come to realize I really like him in that role. I like seeing him. But Tobin Bell character. does a great job in that role, even though he gets, you know, like maybe one or two scenes in these movies that take place after he's dead, you know, because they can always tie him in somehow. Yeah, I guess the only thing I don't like with him being the new Jigsaw is is simply that he he doesn't have the same level of crazy that Jigsaw had. I mean, it, it, like, this, this guy is like the thug equivalent of Jigsaw. Yeah, his, his he's a thug. death traps are just to kill people. His acting is not as good. Um, Although apparently he can do a dead-on impression of Tobin Bell because the Jigsaw voice and all the videotapes that he's made sounds just like the original. With enough processing, I can sound like Mickey Mouse. Oh, 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 oh how you doing? Hey, hey there, kids. Oh, 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 my. If you are... That's a terrible Mickey Mouse. Oh, wait, wait. We got we got a call coming in from um, Shecky Spielberg. Hey, Shecky. How you doing, Trasha? I'm doing great. It's been a long time since you've been on the show. What have you been up to? Uh, you've been talking about these, these Saw movies, and I, I wanted to tell you that I, I did a film that was a knockoff of Saw, but we were so close to Saw, we got shut down half a day into production. Does any of the footage survive? Uh, none of the footage uh, survived, because Mr. Saw, the inventor of the, the Saw franchise, said... You can't do this knockoff. This is too close, even for Saw. What was you saying? It's close. What was it about? Well, what it was called is uh, we called it Table Saw, and it was about a man with a table saw who had cancer, and he killed people with his table saw, and he made traps to make them appreciate life. But ours is different because it's a table saw. See. So was he just strapping people to the table saw, or was he, like, picking the table saw up and, like, throwing it at people? We never got that far. We had a spare warehouse, a table saw, three uh, three kids from film school that were the interns or the actors, depending on the day, on the schedule. We had uh, some uh, half-eaten package of bologna for craft services. Was, That's it, all we had going. We had to make it up. It would be an improvisational film. So, so it's, yeah, it sounds to me like this movie had less of a script and more of a post-it note with an idea written on it. That's right. They made five of these saws at the time, pretty popular. We're going to do table saw, create some market confusion, 
and uh, and get peep, get this taken care of. Well, it's it's a shame because if you had gotten that finished, you could be credited as the inventor of the mockbuster. You know that's right. That was before all these uh, knockoffs of uh, Avatar and the Hobbit and uh, snakes on a train. Sna- snakes on a train, right? All, all those guys, yeah. But uh, so so table saw. We were having the first scene kind of improvised. Then the main character, we called him uh, Jig Sawworth. That, was, it, that na- was his Christian name. That's how he was. His Christian name was Jig Sawworth. People called him Jigsaw. Is kind of a nickname. I, I think we might have gone a bit too close. The Saw people got wind of it, got on set. They said uh, he, he even had a puppet, but but our puppet was white and black. Theirs was black and white. Yeah, but uh, what? Uh, how did the their the puppet sound in Table Saw? Oh, it just sounded like the one in Saw. In fact, we just took audio from Saw uh, one through five of the of the, of the puppet speaking, and, and just sort of rearranged the words so it matched our plot. No, uh, we're Stormberg, very thrifty. Yeah, I, yeah. Some, something that has been reoccurring that a lot of your films have a history of having bad craft services, craft service disasters. Were there Absolutely. any on table saw during your three days of filming? Well, as I mentioned, uh, we had a half-eaten package of bologna that we passed out for craft services. But these people, even though they're, they're like interns that were the actors and, and the uh, the tech guys on, on the show, above and below the line, they did it all. They said they wanted water. They wanted something to drink. They're so demanding. I said, uh, tough it up, Pee-wee. But they wanted something to drink. So uh, I looked around. I had a, a can of malt liquor in my back pocket. And I split it among the crew. So we, we were, they were a bit red in the face uh, halfway through the first day of shooting when the producers of, of Saw came and sh- twisted pictures, shut us down doing Jigsaw. Now, did they, did they just you know send a, a lawyer over with a cease and desist letter, or did they strap you guys into some sort of complicated death trap? A guy in a business suit dropped off a videotape. Uh, we happened to have a VCR on set. Because that's my format of choice. And we pop it in. And it's a lawyer talking like the Jigsaw guy. Saying we've heard your Jigsaw movie. It's too close to Saw. You better stop it. And uh, actually I've been lying this whole time. I've never worked in the film industry. But I have some great ideas. And I had you fooled. Admit it. I had you fooled. (laughs) You certainly did. Okay. Oh. What's that? I got to go and... uh, have a, uh, a a salad sandwich. Are, are you you going? Are you going back to the set? Going back to the set, having a salad sandwich. It's a piece of lettuce in between two pieces of lettuce. Not bad. Uh, what can you give us any any hints about what film you're working on now? Uh, gee, yeah, uh, Hunger Games is popular. It's almost over. Kids want something new. So uh, why don't we call it uh, the H Games? That way, we become before the alphabet of Hunger Games, and they see ours first. And is it our dystopian future where uh, young athletes have to take heroin on live television? I can't get away too much, but yes. All right. Well, uh, I want to let you know that you've just taken my idea. You may be getting a puppet on a videotape for me. Uh, okay. I look forward to it. As will I, Shecky. As will I. Bye-bye, Trasha. See you later, Shecky. Oh, man, Shecky Spielberg, always such a pleasure Absolutely. to hear from him.
We do have at least one listener that enjoys those bits on the show. Well, hey, so. it, it, what, what bit? That was the actual Shecky Spielberg. And who knows? Shecky. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Donald Glover will call in. Uh, you, you never know. And and um, or Shecky Spielberg told me the way he spells his last name is S P I E L B O I G. So so it literally is is written Spielboig. Spielboig, yeah. With his gruff accent, you can't tell that. So, okay. So, I mean, we're, we obviously need to wrap up talking about Saw Five, but I think we, we've covered it pretty well. Oh, yeah, the ending. Of course, we need to talk about the ending. Oh yeah, the confrontation. At least you get a confrontation. At least they don't stretch it out into Saw Six. Although this confrontation is when we start to skirt into that area of a plan that only really works if you can predict the future. <laughs> what not there a line that Jigsaw has to uh, Hoffman where he's like, he must learn how to anticipate the human mind? Yeah, which... <laughs> how, how does... Yeah, like, he's, he's all but saying you need to learn how to get psychic powers. He's like, so Hoffman, what you've got to do is take a few punches, move to the side, a guy's going to fall in your trap, then you kick the door shut... And then you get in the trap, and yeah, it's. But I think the final shot of this film is pretty cool, even though it's pretty laborious how they get there. You get a bit of a fist fight, which is kind of fun. You think it would be more involved, but it's not. And that sort of intercut with uh, Agent Erickson, kind of. You know, following, tracking down Strom, and finding he's all getting... the planted evidence, like the cell phone, that makes it look like the agent is actually the new Jigsaw. Right, because as we know, cell phones can't be hacked. Or <laughs> that's jeez. <laughs> and what did you think of like the end of this? Then the well... kind of switcheroo. Okay, so so yeah, so the new the new jigsaw is in the glass case that you assume is part of a death trap, but it's actually not a death trap the way you think it is. The whole room that they're in, where they had their their brief fight, is just one. It's 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 the trash compactor from the Death Star. The walls start closing in, the door seals, the walls start closing in, and the glass case that the new jigsaw has you thought was trapped in starts lowering itself into the floor so it won't be crushed. And you get a really gruesome death of the agent being crushed just as he realizes that he's going to be framed and that he'll he'll be the one with the legacy of a serial killer. However, I'm really not sure what the next stage of this plan is. So does the room go back to normal and then the new Jigsaw can say, look, obviously Jigs obviously Saw fell into one of his own traps and got crushed. Like, or, or does like the glass case slide out a secret escape hatch and this room is never to be opened again? I'm not, I'm not sure what's supposed to happen next. You have to see next week when you talk about Saw Six. Oh, you address so they go into that. Some of those issues they do. They don't. They don't completely drop it like a hot potato. Well, that's that's good, <laughs> but at the same time, I really wish more movies were complete experiences in and of themselves. Yeah, and you know, as we mentioned in the beginning of the the program, when we do, what the hell am I talking about? I lost my train of thought for a moment. 
Um, oh yeah, the the reveal at the end where it plays the dun da 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 music. Game over. Game over. Fuck you, audience. Um, when when they play that music, the reveal is like how all the ways that Hoffman set up Strom, but. Like, they kind of show that stuff in the movie already. Like, it's not a big shock. At the end, Strom loses. And you know why? It's because of Hoffman. I don't think that explanation is necessary, but they had to do something uh, fitting with the Saw formula. You know, so that's what they did. Oh, that's, um... That's pretty cool. What's pretty cool? Uh, Fan of the show, Ryan Haas, just chimed in on Skype. Marvelous. And he, he he's watched the films a lot. He's really familiar with them. We're going to have him on again for when we do our episode rounding out the Saw series. Oh, nice. I think it'd be fitting having him at the beginning and at the end. After Thrasher is beleaguered from his Saw journey. <laughs> there and uh, back again. That will be my memoirs. The story of one man's experience watching Saw. He says, in Saw 5, the house that Strom finds at the end of the movie with the trap door is the house from Saw 2. Well, actually, yes, which has been which has been tastefully refurnished. That's right. They do, um... And you get to see... It, it, I mean, I do think the flashback stuff is the best stuff in the film. But you do get to see, kind of like from the other end, that exactly what traps Hoffman is helping Jigsaw set up. I thought that was kind of fun. Which appears to be all of them. Yep. And, uh, yeah, just just you wait. They don't stop that nonsense. Oh, I bet. In Saw 5, they, they keep it going. So, yeah, uh, Saw 5 out of five stars. I give it three and a half. I think, I think it's one of the better sequels and has some good momentum to it. I hate this much less than I did originally. It's not like – it just does not spin its wheels like Saw 4. Uh, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it two, and I think the only thing that really holds me back is I wish there was more with Jigsaw's wife. I really got the feeling that she was gonna be a much bigger part of this movie. Unfortunately, she wasn't. But I also would like her to be a much bigger part of this movie in this franchise. I think there is a really good movie to be made about the the, the estranged wife of a serial killer. Yeah. You- they they do a bit more with the wife, you know, in uh, the the later films. But yeah, I think having her be the new Jigsaw would have been a more interesting thing than Hoffman. At the end of the day, playing armchair quarterback here. Hmm. Speaking of that, let's do pitch a sequel. We're going to pretend they didn't make a new movie after Saw 5, and what would we pitch as the sequel? Okay. I will begin. Proceed. Saw 5, you kind you know, you you end on a very definite note of what happens to uh, Strom. But I would begin Saw 6 and just have it be ridiculous. It picks up right where Saw 5 leaves off. You see, Strom is getting crushed to death. And yet, Strom has a surge of adrenaline. After all, he figured out how to escape uh, with the tracheotomy from the glass box trap. He says, I will not fail. There is a graded uh, gate uh, up up, up above me as this thing is crushing on me, as I'm getting the trash compactor death from Star Wars or whatever, right? Right. I can escape. 
So with this last surge of strength, even though part of the tendons on his wrist are stretched out, he shoves his way through the grate. He's bleeding. He's injured. But he has escaped the new jigsaw yet again. Meanwhile, Hoffman escapes, and he sees word, just like the beginning of Saw 5, that Strom has escaped one of his traps. And Hoffman's like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe this guy. What's happening? So Hoffman calls upon John Kramer, the original Jigsaw's ex-wife, and says, Jill, Jill, you got to help me. Uh, Your husband, he needed help from Amanda, for myself. I need help, too, to make these traps as foolproof as possible. I want to get out of the trap business. But I really need to finish this off good. So can you help me make a trap to get rid of Strom, get that monkey off my back once and for all? And Jill says, sure, I'll help you, Hoffman. And then Hoffman is in bed, asleep. And he's woken up by something in the middle of the night. There's a thunderstorm. A mysterious figure in a pig mask covers his face as chloroform. He's knocked out. Now Hoffman has to go through a series of traps set by Jill. Because Jill hates Hoffman. And now the trap maker has to escape traps made by the ex-wife of the original trap maker. (laughs) (laughs) And I would call it Saw, 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 saw. <laughs> That's a that is a naming convention. I believe you've stuck with consistently. I think so. I think it it, it would be very funny seeing a, a poster with the word "saw" on it six times, and it's literally "saw six. <laughs> gabo, gabo, gabo. Because it's not like Fast and Furious, where you can shorten it down to Furious Six or Fast Five. Yeah, or F seven or whatever they're doing. <laughs> so what's your pitch right, of sequel? Mine's gonna be Saw six six six. So uh Jigsaw's estranged wife. Uh you know, she's she's finally she's finally out of that town. The reason she's out of that horrible, horrible town is that she's actually written a memoir uh, about being the estranged wife of a serial killer, uh, and it becomes a runaway bestseller. There's talks about turning it into a movie, talks about turning it into a TV series. She's got money. She can now afford to move to a a town where there's sunlight half of the time, Uh, and things are going really great for her. However, Detective Hoffman, Who's still doing horrible things uh, to people in that in whatever the hell city uh, these movies take place in? Uh, he feels that her book is tainting the Jigsaw legacy, is giving people a false idea of, of who Jigsaw really was mm, and what he was about. Okay, right. So he starts abducting people who have some hand in getting the novel published. Uh, and running them again through death traps, you know, teaching them life lessons like tell the truth, don't screw people over, things like that. So, you know, there's a death trap. There's a death trap for her literary agent. There's a death trap for the ghost writer who helped her flesh out the book. There's a death trap for the researcher who helped with the factual details, who may have embellished or fabricated things. And it's all finally leading to a death trap uh, for the wife, uh, where she gets put in, where essentially she can choose to live and 
everyone else responsible for the book dies, or she can immediately end all of their death trap scenarios if she agrees to take her own life. But she says, oh no, I know Jigsaw far too well for this. She escapes. She outthinks the new Jigsaw, liberates all the other people, or at least attempts to liberate all the other people who are trapped in death traps, and then goes to have a final confrontation with Detective uh, Mark Hoffman. And it is going to be both a physical battle and a battle of wits, but he's but but they're evenly matched because while he has grown to become a proficient new jigsaw killer, she knows all of his tricks and she has all of her medical knowledge and she can outthink him in every step. And the movie's actually going to end with her throwing both of them into a death trap, and it's going to be, and she is going to say "game over" as they are both destroyed, finally ending the Jigsaw legacy once and for all. That's a nice way to uh, to tie things together. I like that idea a lot. Oh yeah. What would it be called? A uh, Saw Six Six Six. Nice. Very good. So now let's do sequel news. Woo! Uh, there's one big thing that happened since our last show, and I mentioned this on Facebook. I have the graphic uh, in front of me. Indeed. And we'll kind of do what I think what we did with the DC um, big announcement of all their upcoming films, is I will read off the titles and kind of give my commentary and you give yours, since you're more of the comic book uh, enthusiast. Certainly. Does that sound good? Oh, absolutely. I'm ready. Did you think it weakened Marvel to do this big announcement after DC kind of laid their dick on the table? I don't th- I don't think so. And was like, so. here's all this stuff for the next five years or whatever. I, I don't years. think so because I, it's only made me more excited for what Marvel has planned for the future. Now, I hope they can stay on this schedule without sacrificing the quality of the films. I would hate to uh. wait for any of these films to come out, and yet I would rather have to wait to make sure that it's the best possible version of these films. I bet you with at least one of these Marvel films and one of the DC films that there's going to be a film in there that's going to be delayed. Oh, yeah. And there might be a film that even gets canceled because it's so many films. I don't know. I'm just... That makes me a bit skeptical, but, but we'll see what happens. I mean, it's... It's ambitious from both Marvel and DC what they have planned for the films. Oh, yes. But it does make me wish that Marvel would get the rights to do the films all through the Marvel Films Disney conglomerate thing. Yeah, it would be kind of... I I would like Spider-Man to coexist with these other characters at least. I don't mind X-Men being different because I feel... I honestly feel like X-Men to me has long felt like almost its own universe. It seems to exist parallel from the rest of the Marvel Universe, but Spider-Man, I want to see Spider-Man and Fantastic Four exist in this universe. I'd like Marvel to get uh, Spider-Man, but I don't want to see another Spider-Man origin film, for the love of God. Yeah, yeah, I'm done with those. (laughs) (laughs) They've done plenty of those. Um, All right, so the the Marvel lineup. In... uh, Summer of 2015, you get Avengers Age of Ultron, the second Avengers which, movie. So this which caps there, off Phase 2. Which there's already a trailer out for that. It's a very chilling trailer that takes advantage of the fact that Disney is uh, part of this process. <laughs> yeah, with a, a cover of a Pinocchio song. A, a terrifying cover of a, pin- a song from Pinocchio. 
I got no strings to hold me down, to make me laugh, to make me frown. Yeah. Uh, when I saw that trailer, I was a bit bummed, because I, I liked the original Avengers with how fun it was. And this being, you know, it, like they do, like the whole Empire Strikes Back, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom analogy. The second film in a trilogy has to be real sad and stuff. Well, I don't... It just made it feel like every other comic book movie. I, I think I think that's just because of what they put into the trailer. Uh, I am sure it's going to have the same undercurrent of humor and joie de vivre and esprit de corps that's been in all the other Marvel films. And Joss Whedon is writing and directing uh, this one again like he did with the first Avengers, but then he doesn't have anything set up at Marvel after that, uh, which is interesting. But, you know, people... I think he... Even though Joss Whedon has been doing some feature stuff lately, he's also so good with television. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go back to do right. uh, some TV show that hopefully lasts for more than one or two seasons. Firefly, the next generation. Uh, <laughs> you know, why don't they do motion comics of like the all those comic book seasons of Buffy and Angel and whatever? They they could, although I think I'd much rather just read the comics. Sure. Um Okay, after that is uh, Ant-Man. Finally. <laughs> yeah, it's been in the work. although Edgar Wright is no longer attached, as we mentioned on the show. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous about this, if only because it seems to have had such a troubled production. I'm worried that it's going to be a very muddled film with no clear tone of voice. So Ant-Man, he can get small and he can get really big. Uh, Ant-Man gets small, uh, Giant-Man gets big, but they both get their powers from the Pym Particle. Oh, so Ant-Man, he can only literally be the size of an ant. I thought he could get huge for some reason. Uh, that That's Giant-Man. But remember, Giant-Man, this is one of those char- series of characters with a complicated history. Uh, sometimes Hank Pym is the Giant-Man, sometimes he's not. But a, but they still get their powers from the same source, a, a helmet that pumps up Pym particles into their bodies. Do you think with the story in Ant-Man, we're going to get like a Ant-Man versus Giant-Man face-off? I don't know if they're going to face off, but it looks like they're both going to be in the film. Because Michael Douglas oh, yeah. is in there, and, and so is Paul Rudd, of course. Um, in 2016, we're getting Captain America Civil War. Which is interesting, uh, because, because it supposedly is going to be based on the Marvel Civil War storyline, which is a neat idea, but I almost feel like that's an idea big enough that it could be used as the plot for an Avengers movie. Unless, of course, once sure. they set up the Civil War, it's going to be a thread that is woven through all the other films up till uh, the third Avengers, which might be an interesting bit of long-form storytelling. I think that's what they'll do. It was such an epic event. Now, I've never read the Civil War comics, but I know, like, in broad strokes what happened. Yes. And I think the idea of, like, uh, you know, uh, pro-superhero registration and anti-superhero registration uh, with the government is such a neat concept. And, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man is going to have a big part in that film. So that'll be fun to see. Yeah, and it'll yeah. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see whether they really do whether it really does create a schism between uh, Iron Man and Captain America I think you'd have to wouldn't that be the whole momentum of the plot well I mean that, that that's what happens in the comics is Tony Stark comes out in favor of the superhero registration but in the end uh, Captain America washes his hands of it and actually goes underground 
uh, in 2016, we're also going to be getting Doctor Strange. Thank goodness. Did they confirm it's played by Benedict Cumberbatch, or is that still a sort of? Sort of. He's in discussions. Yeah, I mean, I happening. I think I think he's a good choice. Um, I'm just I like I really like Doctor Strange. I like the Doctor Strange mythos. They can use it to bring so many other cosmic things into uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think he, if they do stick with him till the bitter end, I think he will be a good choice. It'll I'm, be, I'll, I think, one of the one of the stranger, you know, films, probably more surreal. Um, but then again, look, we had Guardians of the Galaxy was a huge hit, and oh, that's yeah. a pretty wacky concept. Well, I, well, there's there's really not. I wouldn't I wouldn't call Doctor Strange wacky, but it, but it is well and truly cosmic. Uh, what I'm kind of curious. Well, the two things that I'm wondering. Uh, one. Did we get hints of Doctor Strange already? Are we going to get Doctor Strange in Avengers Age of Ultron? Uh, if only because there is a lingering shot of a Tibetan... Well, not necessarily Tibetan, but some sort of Eastern temple in the Age of Ultron trailer. And as we all know, that is an Eastern temple is where Doctor Strange got his mystical training. Um, and then two... For the big villain for Doctor Strange, is it going to be his original nemesis Nightmare, or are they going to go straight for the Dread Dormammu? I think you'll see some Doctor Strange references dropped, uh, given that the casting has been so... They've been kind of scrambling to get the casting together just for the the lead role of Doctor Strange. Um, Unless it's some, like, post-credit, like, two-second thing they filmed... Which could also be I, interesting. Which, which could be interesting. I, I think you'll get some name drops and some hints where comic book guys will know what they're talking about, but other people might not. Uh, let's. This is a big-ass list. Um, this, yeah. uh, May 2017, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, that's going to be fun. Is James Gunn uh, doing it? Uh, I, yes, yes. He's already... I, I so. uh, okay, like, he, he got the deal to do it before Guardians of the Galaxy premiered. That's right. Um... I think it'll be, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy was nice. I was really skeptical going into it. But I'm still behind on some of the Marvel Phase 2 stuff. I have not seen uh, Thor 2 or Captain America 2. Captain well, America, was it Winter Thor Soldier. Thor the Dark, yeah, Winter, Winter Soldier. Soldier is an exquisite film. You should definitely see it. Great. Uh, Thor the Dark World, I'm not going to call that essential. It's very fun, especially if you are a fan of Thor. But if you're... But you don't really need to see it, and they criminally underutilized Natalie Portman. Did you think it was better than Thor One? Uh it had. It was better at implementing all the cosmic elements that I like that are part of Marvel's Thor. But so much of what goes on in that movie is connected to other Marvel movies that it really doesn't hold up on its own. I feel. Sounds like it feels like. Like filler, like it's connecting some dots. Yeah, it does. It does kind of feel like connective tissue, and uh, it also gotcha. It's and again, criminally underutilizes Natalie Portman. Uh, speaking of which, in July 2017, the third Thor film, Thor Ragnarok. That's going to be neat. What What is that? What significance does Ragnarok have? Well, I mean, well, Ragnarok is the death, the death of the gods, the end I of see. the world. Uh, the it, well, it, depending on how you interpret it, it, is either the Nordic, the Norse end of the world myth, or it is part of a cyclical mythology, and it just means a time of endings to set up a time of beginnings. So, it'd be a lot of apocalyptic action. 
I, I would I would assume so. I'm 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 sure that Asgard will come under assault. I'm kind of honestly, what I'm actually kind of hoping it's based on is one of the first major Thor story arcs, the uh, Trolls of of uh not Jotunheim, that's the realm of the giants, but they're these there's these alien trolls who uh distract Asgard so that they can conquer the earth. And it's a really cool multi issue story arc. And if they took that story arc and combined that with Loki because okay, not wanting okay, so spoiler alert, skip ahead thirty seconds. The end of Thor the Dark World reveals that Loki has has taken Odin's place. Loki is impersonating Odin and now rules Asgard in disguise. Hmm. If that's still like that would be so cool if you have, you know, Loki still wants to conquer the earth and in the guise of Odin you know, says, well, we have to defend Earth from the trolls, and all he really wants to do is conquer and occupy the Earth. I think that would be really neat. And you could potentially maybe even bring in Hercules. You know. 2017, Black Panther. Oh, I have been waiting for this one. A lot of people have been wanting this one. Um, and yet, I think it's a character the mainstream might not be as familiar with. Maybe not, but who cares? It's a great character. He's a king, he's a genius, he's rich. He's a badass martial artist. There's lots to like about it, this character. I hope we get it set like in um uh Africa or wherever he's from. Oh yeah, yeah, he's he's from uh he's from Africa from the uh made-up nation of uh of Wakanda. Thank you. You know, I I'm just showing my ignorance cuz I I haven't read a lot of this stuff, but which is so also I, I'm uh, glad Earth's I was right. Tops, it's also Earth's top source of vibranium. Great, yeah. I think it'll have a different, um, a different energy. You certainly haven't had a lot of like uh, vistas and, and stuff in some of these films. Uh, Captain Marvel, a lady. Yes, they're going straight to the female Captain Marvel, which is very cool. I'm a bit surprised that we haven't in this bunch of films. There is not a, um, oh, hell, I can't even remember the character's name. Scarlett Johansson. Oh, the Black Widow? Yeah, why hasn't there been a Black Widow film? Well, that was actually a bit of information that got dropped. Before Iron Man, A there was a Black Widow script circulating Hollywood, and it never did, did not get picked up. Hmm. And you know, in in a parallel universe, Black Widow is what started the the big Marvel fran- movie franchises. But no, you could easily give her her own film. Although I, I'm, it's it's what's going to be interesting is is how much of the original Captain Marvel uh, origin story they're going to go with, because of course Captain Marvel uh, gets her powers from an infusion of Kree of superpowered Kree DNA, and they've already introduced the Kree in Guardians of the Galaxy. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Do you think Jeremy Renner, the actor that plays Hawkeye, is kind of bummed he hasn't had his own movie? I I don't think Hawkeye, as he stands, can carry his own movie. However, I would have nothing against him having a more major role to play in other films. Gotcha. Also, in 2018, you have Inhumans. This, but, yeah. this is actually probably the one that I'm the most looking forward to. So it was created by Jack Kirby. Is that right? Yep. 
And it's uh, even weirder space stuff than Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, it's a it's about the, the Inhumans are a people. They're an entire race of superhumans. Uh, when they come of age, they're exposed to this uh, chemical that awakens these sort of random collection of superpowers within them. So no no two are the same, and they all have. They're, they're all kind of, the original core and humans team, they're all somewhat inspired by mythology. So there's Medusa, although her power is that her hair it, it can grow and grapple things. There's uh, Gorgon, who is hideously ugly, but has these giant satyr hooves that he can he, that gives him a super stomp power. There's Karnak, who is an expert martial artist who can sense the structural weakness in any form of matter, which lets him, even though he doesn't have super strength, it lets him punch through anything. So is that like Greek mythology X-Men, sort of? Kind of. Uh, the the, the uh, Immortals are more of a... or the No, the Eternal. The Eternals are more a bit more Greek mythology than the, uh, than the Inhumans. Because um, once you get outside of the core and human group, it starts to get really, really crazy. And that, of course, leads to the wrap-up of Phase 3, Avengers Infinity War, which is spread over two films. Which normally would make me very, very nervous. But it doesn't... For, for I have enough confidence in the franchise at this point that that does not, that does not worry me. That's kind of telling me that they've gonna, they're going to have enough movie to fill all this story. They have a lot of Infinity Gems, right? Yep. Gotcha. So, um, I... Oh, one th- comment on yes. the Inhumans, though. It'll be interesting to see how they handle the Inhumans, if only because, in the comics, their origin story is intimately connected to the Fantastic Four. Hmm. Now, I think you could, you could do that, you could introduce them without the Fantastic Four, but I just, I feel it works so much better, uh, it works so much better that way. Well, and wasn't Spider-Man in the comics involved in the Civil War? Uh, yes, uh, in fact, he uh, he was one of the first superhumans to register because he was able to get, uh, by doing so, he was able to get protection for Aunt May and for Mary Jane. Hmm. Well, is there any other piece of sequel news you want to talk about? I think that's a pretty big one. I just, uh, all I want to say is that uh, one of my fondest Thanksgiving traditions, which I haven't been able to celebrate the past few years, was the uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 Turkey Day Marathon. 24 straight hours of Mystery Science Theater 3000 beginning and ending with, traditionally, beginning and ending with a new episode. That has not, sadly, when it left Comedy Central, they haven't done that in ages. Well, on the website www.mst3kturkeyday.com, they're going to live stream a turkey day this year on Thanksgiving. It's going to be fantastic. How does that work? It's the original people? Well, they're they not going to do old they're not, episodes? They're not doing new episodes. They're just going to be showing a whole bunch of old ones. I see. All, all from the... Uh, uh, and it's all being done through a Shout Factory, who produces the MST3K DVDs now. Gotcha. Pretty cool. Oh, I, well, I cannot wait. I think you got a question, Thrasher. Yes, uh, and that question is... Would you like to play a game? And in this case, that game being what you're watching. Very good. Um, last episode, did I talk about Spider-Man 2, The Amazing Spider-Man no, 2? No, no, you did not. Okay, great, because speaking of all the superhero shit, um, I got to rent that movie and see it. Why I saw The Amazing Spider-Man 2 before watching uh, Thor, the, Doc, the Dark World, 
or uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Um, I'll never know. But anyway, that's what I saw. It was in Redbox right across the street from my house. I rented it. I liked the Amazing Spider-Man, the first one, with um, Peter Garfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen the second one? No, I haven't. I, I, uh, I'm kind of done with Spider-Man on the big screen right now. Yeah, I mean, this is a film you can clearly tell that they probably had two or three scripts and kind of mushed them together. It feels overstuffed in the same way Spider-Man 3 did with Tobey Maguire. Hmm. You know, where he had Sandman and he had Venom. And, and the this, Hobgoblin. And the Hobgoblin, right. Or and, Yeah, that's right. I forgot that part. Uh, it was James Franco, right, as the in the more futuristic uh, suit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, um, do you mind if I spoil some stuff? Oh, no, go right ahead. Dance? Okay, so, because you know the comics and whatever, they're doing their own thing, but so spoilers for this movie if you care. Um, you have Electro, played by Jamie Foxx, and he plays it really cartoony. It's like a worse version of Jim Carrey as the Riddler from Batman Forever. Really? So it's just the nerd's very broad. And he also disappears in the movie for a solid hour <laughs> before coming back, like at the end. We see that—that's um, where the Sinister Six is going to take place during that hour-long gap. <laughs> right. Well, they set up the Sinister Six stuff in a kind of cool way. I like how they do that. Um, I think the big thing is in the first Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man film. I need to clarify. They don't really mention. Uh, they mention the Osborn uh, Corporation, right? Yep. But they don't mention. Uh, Norman Osborn, Harry Osborn, you don't really see him. Ozzy Osborn. Ozzy Osborn. The Ozziest of Osborns. Um but in the new one, you know, they basically you have this stuff where like uh Peter's like, Oh my friend, um I keep on God, the the younger one is Harry, right? I believe so. Harry Osborne. Yeah, okay. He's like, oh, my friend Harry Osborn, here's on a trip from Europe, but he's back. He's my best friend. And it's like, well, he wasn't in the first fucking movie. Yeah. And they're trying to set up that they're such friends. Like, that's a big fuck up right there. You could have at least had, like, a brief, like, telephone scene in the first film. Or maybe a flashback of when they were such good friends as children to start the second film. Yeah. Nope. 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 Uh, but the actor they cast, um, I don't remember the guy's. Let me see if I can look it up. He looks like real slimy looking and he does he doesn't have like the childlike goofiness of um James Franco. But he's kind of more like sinister and stuff. Like I don't know, I think the actor is is pretty good. That's Dane DeHaan. Um and the stuff with you get to see the the green and this one the green goblin basically like dies really quickly and has a rotting skin disease that's passed on to his son that makes him look like a goblin and uh there's a suit that causes regeneration and you find out the whole osborne corporation has been experimenting on different animals combined into cybernetic suits to try and extend the life of this family curse of the osborns which is why they have um suits in productions of uh Dr. Octopus suit and a rhino suit. Because when you have so a degenerative forth. skin condition, that's what you need are extra yeah. arms or wings. Yeah, yeah, a vulture suit. Right, right. So, but th- there's, a, there's a hilarious scene where the, the scientist guy is kind of walking past and you see like all these Sinister Six, you know, costumes in the background, basically. Um, 
So the Green Goblin stuff is good. The Electro stuff is is shit. Uh, when Jamie Foxx is Electro, he speaks in a deep, deep voice. Well, I've heard that his superpowers fix his uh, dental gap. That too. Um, at one one point that really made me cringe, and this isn't as goofy as like the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. It's not as comedic. But uh, Electro picks up Spider-Man and like slams him between these electric pylons. And uh, the melody that plays for the thunk, thunk, thunk is like itsy bitsy spider. It's like, uh, at least he doesn't have a line like, not so itsy anymore, am I? But he might as well have. It's it's such a clash of tone. But yet the the stuff you get with Gwen Spacey and Green Goblin... um, which sort of like have happened in the comic, but not really. Like, that stuff is pretty well done. I think had they made a film just about Green Goblin and not done Electro, and they could have still lightly have set up the Sinister Six stuff, I think it would have been much better. But as it is, it feels like you're watching two halves of two different movies clumsily smushed together. And uh, Paul Giamatti plays a, a guy that becomes the Rhino, by becomes the rhino, I mean he puts on a big Transformers kind of rhino suit, which is designed to cure a skin condition. Uh, apparently, I think they don't do a great job of explaining things. Um, so, yeah, with that uh, description, do you want to watch the film Thrasher? I don't think I want to see these. I'm interested in the Sinister Six, if only because I think it is high time we had a villains movie. A bad guy movie, And I yeah. would love a heist movie with those charismatic villains. I'm just worried we're not going to get the fun, charismatic Sinister Six. All right, so what is a uh, film that you've been watching? Well, I uh, have... Uh... Finally, well, actually, I've been very, very busy between uh, two big shows, uh, Con on the Cob and Odd Mall. I have not actually had... Oh, actually, I take that back. I did watch something just last night. That's why I didn't even... Uh, I watched the Rift Track screening of Anaconda. So was this in a theater where they kind of do a satellite? Yeah, it's one of the, the theater where they do the live satellite uplinks. It was tremendously fun. It was one of their one of their best live streams. It's also the only way you're going to get me to see that movie. That movie is awful. I've never been to one of those, you know, simulcast uh, theater things. I know they've been doing it. Is one... the picture pretty good? The oh, picture the picture's quality? excellent. And do they have the? The outlines in the foreground, like on the show? Uh, no, they uh, they normally just... Sh- they For mo- about half the time, they're just showing you the movie and you're hearing them talk over it. Uh, every now and then, they do sort of a picture-in-picture picture where you can see uh, three little screens off to the side where you can see uh, Mike, uh, Kevin, and Bill. Was the picture-in-picture picture distracting? Or... Oh, no, not at all. It's kind of refreshing, actually. It makes it a bit more of an intimate experience. And then they don't just do Anaconda. They also do they also do a short or two. They'll sometimes do a preview of something that they're working on in the future. And if you wanted to uh, get their riff tracks on Anaconda, is that one you can download from the site or no? Uh, I don't think it's well. If they've already done it as one of their regular downloadable episodes, yes. Uh, some of the ones they simulcast, they do release on DVD. I don't know whether Anaconda is going to be one of those yet. 
I know they release on DVD ones that are public domain, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they've actually done like they've that. done uh, shorts collections and movie collections, uh, okay. and, and their live stream their live stream for or their simulcast of uh, House on Haunted Hill. I know, I believe they did a DVD release for. Uh, that's the original, you mean, not the remake? Yeah, of the yeah, 90s the, the one with, with Liam Neeson. Gotcha. Pretty cool. I have to check that out. I've um the only riff tracks I've seen was the one for. Oh boy. Uh Plan Nine. Twilight Two. Oh yeah. New Moon, I guess. And um it was pretty funny. You know so Yeah, you know what's like okay, so there's lot there's lots of things wrong with Anaconda, but I think the thing that bothers me the most is when they just reverse footage of the boat and as a result a waterfall that's not even in the background <laughs> is going backwards. Oh that's uh and that's just one of many continuity errors. And those guys are good about pointing those out too. Oh um, yeah, but 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 they don't just point it out. They have like a real comment or a joke to tell about it. Sounds like you had a fun time. How many people were at the screening? Um, actually, not many uh, at our yeah. theater. I think we were we were two of eight. Ooh. I guess these things must be popular enough because they keep on doing them. Oh yeah, it was all. Although also, it's also all it was on a weird night, uh, so that might be why not. Well, like a Tuesday night, like a week night or something, yeah. right? Gotcha. Cool. Well, let's do the Paul Goebel Memorial Mashup. Ah, uh, yes, the Paul Goebel Show Memorial Mashup, where I combine two impressions into one thick, creamy impression, and Matt and our guests have to figure out what that combined impression is. So, are you ready? Yes. So. Halloween may have passed, but I think I'm going to keep doing these while we're doing the Saw franchise, so. Hear the creatures of the night, what lovely music they make, they howl, fuck you! I guess the lining of my coffin wasn't thick enough, I'm like, fuck you! And fuck her too! They buried me in my cave. I got it, I got it. Bella Lugosi Lo Green. Yes, Bella Lugosi Lo Green. Finally. Nice. I yeah, have been first sitting when on you that said, for two weeks. <laughs> and that one was nice because when you said fuck you, it made me think of Bella Lugosi's scenes in the, the Tim Burton film Ed Wood. Oh, yeah. No, he's like, fuck you about uh, Boris Karloff and his success. Let's shoot this fucker. Yeah, I love that, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, interpretation yeah. of Lugosi. And along those lines, you know, the, uh, the writers that did um, Ed Wood are collaborating with Tim Burton on his new film that's coming out this holiday season called Big Big Eyes. Eyes. Nice. Have you seen the trailer for it? No, I haven't, although I'm familiar with the premise. Yeah, I mean, it's another biopic, and it looks really interesting, and shockingly, it it stars neither uh, Johnny Depp or Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, God, have you seen the, the poster for Johnny Depp's one of his many upcoming movies? Is it the one that's the Austin Powers knockoff? I don't know. Like? I don't know what it's about. All I know is it's him wide-eyed with an with a handlebar mustache, and somehow yep. he yeah, manages to I'm make a of. handlebar mustache something that grows out of your face. He manages to make that look affected. I, you know, it it really makes me think of that, that lovely quote from an episode of Community, where it says. Um, Johnny Depp, the bad kind of good. Nicholas Cage, the good kind of bad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the right? Did I flip that around? Or did I have that? No, right? no, you've got it. That that's that's the 
it's not an exact quote, but the paraphrasing, you you got the point. Right. And, um, you know, at least Nicolas Cage always does an interesting job or there's something interesting to see. Well, I think Nicolas Cage is actually very self-aware. I think Nicolas Cage knows yes, exactly what he's Yes, he said doing. as much. He knows what his persona is. He knows how people often see him. Johnny Depp, I'm not sure. I do sometimes feel like Johnny Depp uh, lives in some sort of strange fantasy world. You know, he he toiled away in, in indies for for years and has had a very um, interesting career. But yeah, every time I see him, it's like, and maybe it's just the Tim Burton roles, but it's like, can I have another prosthetic on my face well can i do this one in a higher it's like a he's turned into a bad mike myers yeah well the thing is he is a very talented actor i will go so far as to say yes he is a brilliant actor but he needs a director that can rein him the fuck in right and make him actually act as opposed to poncing it up around the stage um yeah we can only wonder what accent he's gonna do in into the woods uh, fake Brooklyn accent. I, I like how the trailers for Into the Woods, uh, or just like what they did with the trailers for Sweeney Todd, where they hid the fact that it's a musical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I think this might be the only way you can market a musical film nowadays. Which is a shame. I mean, why not? Right. Yeah, you don't, um, well, I don't know, Les Mis was pretty obvious it was a fucking musical, and that made a shitload of money. And, and Into the Woods is pretty well-known, too. I mean, that's Stephen Sondheim, so... Uh, I'll be curious to see how that does. Well, um, hope you've enjoyed this episode of the, the sequel cast. You can follow me on Twitter at SequelCast. And you can follow me at Internet Mayor. Uh, what's your latest thing to plug, Thrasher? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, latest thing to plug. Uh, so I've recently come out with a new gaming uh, supplement, the uh, Jester Dragons. Oh, no, no, it's not a Jester Dragon pocket. It's uh, 100 Oddities for a Creepy Old House. You can find this on drivetherpg.com. Also, uh, I recently did uh, the cartography and game boards for Monster Cart Mayhem uh, for... Uh, for accessible games, definitely check that out. It's a horror-themed, it's kind of a humorous horror-themed board game where it's all classic uh, classic movie monsters racing through uh, spooky environments trying to smash up the other cars and get to the end of the racetrack first. So it kind of, it fits somewhere between Groovy Ghoulies, Wacky Races, and Mario Kart. Neat. I, um... Have do a a quiz a weekly quiz for geeks who drink and I have a different venue now. Now you can find me uh, Tuesdays eight to ten p.m. at the Iconic Lounge in Portland, Oregon. So now you can finally tell us what you really think about that other venue. Um, I no no <laughs> no. But I'm at the Iconic Lounge. It's really cool. It's it's a movie themed bar. They play movies in black and white. Uh, with with no sound with just subtitles going constantly. Hmm. Um, and it's stuff that's, they're not black and white movies. It might be something, you know, like clueless or, um, Godfather or sometimes actual black and white movies like Casablanca. Interesting. And I think black and white makes everything look classy. I think when I, when I was there working, uh, last night, they were showing forgetting Sarah Marshall okay. in black and white. Um, which is pretty interesting. Uh, 
So there you go. Yeah, catch me Tuesdays, 8 to 10 p.m. at the Iconic Lounge hosting a quiz for geeks who drink. So, again, check out the website, sequelcast.com, to check out past episodes. And remember the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Uh, Go to battleshippretension.com to check out their other great film and TV podcast and reviews. And our theme song is written and performed by Mark with a C. His website is markwithac.com. So tune in next week where we'll talk about Saw 6. Saw, 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 saw. So this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. The metal in your blade is substandard. You need something for the long haul. You must learn how to anticipate the human mind. The sequel cast is a hipster goblin production. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 